Hello, Classic Crew, and welcome to Classically Ever After, the Classically Abbey podcast with Jacob and Abby Roth. Three times a month, we will discuss the ins and outs of marriage and relationships, parenthood, classic living, and navigating the modern era while maintaining traditional values. From philosophy to practical advice, you'll find out what we really think. Friends, we are back with another episode of Classically Ever After, and it's been a little while. We didn't get to post an episode last week because things have been a bit crazy. There will be some life updates coming your way soon enough, but it's been pretty busy over here at the Roth household. Mm-hmm. Indeed it has. <laughs> and it will be very fun when we can actually talk about things directly instead of obliquely. But that being said... Uh, fun stuff for us is in the works. It won't change the content for you, but fun stuff for us is in the works that we'll be very happy to share with you. But I guess it does change the content for you because it'll give us more grist for the mill for future things to talk about. So you know what? This really is good for you. You should be glad (laughs) for the thing that we're talking about that you can't know. This is so weird. So we have to let you know kind of our new setup. We are using two mics now. We've been using one mic in the past. I had one when I was doing my podcast. When you would come onto my show as a guest, he would just sit on opposite sides of the mic with me, and it wasn't the ideal setup. So, Caddy corner, like a first date at a diner. <laughs> it was very funny. So Jacob actually went online and purchased another another mic. We've been messing with the settings for about half an hour. We finally think we've got... It's not s- we who are messing with the settings. You were messing with the settings. I was sitting here bored. <laughs> <laughs> on your phone playing chess poorly <laughs> uh, but now we are sitting at opposite ends of my dining room table of our dining room table and we are looking at each other from a distance and we can actually speak into our own separate mics but it is funny because we are separated by about six, six feet, feet. <laughs> yeah so now we're, we're covid safe yeah except exactly that was never the number and it was all fake and lies yeah exactly except for that So I'm excited to get into today's episode because the main topic we're going to be discussing is kind of how to win a fight with your spouse. (laughs) Yes. Or alternatively, how to have a disagreement with your spouse in a kind and respectful way that's really fruitful, that really gets to the heart and crux of things and is done in a way where neither person leaves the conversation feeling worse than before. I'm going to disagree with that. Okay. What not, do you think? not just for the comedic, ironic sake of disagreeing with yeah, you. Yeah, no, I've, I've started to realize that this is one of your favorite things to do on this podcast. Is ironically undercut what you're saying? Not ironically undercut, but rather to get into little funny fights where you're like, hey, this is a thing. Hey, that's or, a or thing. Or here's a mild clarification or modification to the thing <laughs> you just said. Um, this is not just for the sake of humor. Um, Because I don't think we're just going to talk about how to have a successful, how to have a nice disagreement. Because you and I don't only have nice disagreements, we have tiffs and we have fights. I think the real crux of our advice is how to land softly and well from that and make it productive. Because you and I don't know how to avoid being aggro with each other. Because we are aggro with each other a portion of the time. Aggro meaning aggravated, for those of you who that aren't. means aggressive. Sorry, aggressive. Yeah. 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 Um, to draw aggro for something is to draw its aggression. <laughs> uh, it's like a gaming, sporting term. Right. Um, but we will get mad at each other, and we will have stupid conflict where we're not productively fighting. But we know how to off-ramp from that 
and land well and be very happy afterwards and also draw something productive from the experience. Right. And so that's what we have to offer. I don't know how to make people never fight without them either being the perfect ideal of person or so boring that they have nothing to conflict with each other about. <laughs> uh, if you are some third category, draw no offense from this. I just wasn't aware that you existed. But <laughs> We do have good practice from five years now of how to do it well in the end. Yeah. And I think that it's unrealistic in many, many cases, in most cases, to not fight and to not get aggressive with each other and not get angry at each other because that's what happens when you're with someone 24-7. But it's always the most important thing is to figure out how to end that conversation in a positive way. So I'm excited to talk about it today because Jacob and I have been in a, in a period of life, right? We just had a baby only six months ago. I mean, five and a half months ago, but this is a period of life where there's a lot more to get like frustrated at each other about. So we've been in more situations where we've been frustrated and had to work through some conversations. And this is, a, I think, been a fruitful time for us because we figured out how to do it. And we've also, thank God, had, what, three years in advance of this to work on it. Before we had the baby, because nine months. Oh, well, uh, yeah, but do you count the pregnancy as part of that time? No. Well, then it would be about four years. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Because our anniversary is in May, if you remember. I do. And <laughs> we had the baby. Well, maybe in I'll count pregnancy a little bit. March, if you remember. Fine. And I'll count, so I'll count pregnancy a little bit because <laughs> my hormones are crazy and things are stressful. It was not that crazy. I mean, I had a pretty good pregnancy. Overall, thank you. Well, God. you were sick for a good portion of it. Yeah. But, but I never mentally, vomited. Well, mentally, you were like fairly okay. Or yeah. maybe I just don't remember negative things because I'm such a happy chap. <laughs> no, I think that there was some some anxiety, but mostly that was coming off of having had a miscarriage before. So I was worried about the pregnancy. But other than that, like I was just really happy to be pregnant. So, Yeah. So let's get started with today's antonym of the week. Everything's of the week. So maybe I should Wouldn't just say it be this today's week's antonym. antonym. This week's antonym. <laughs> this week's Not today's antonym, antonym of the week. Because that happening? would imply that tomorrow has its own antonym of the week. I, it's so much. It's all so much. I know. I've, I've chosen poorly. <laughs> I am so ready for this antonym of the week. The audience cannot hear what's happening above this apartment, but I can. I was about so to say, we have to mention this, I therefore, right? I will when it comes to my antonym. Oh, okay, fine. So our antonym of the week is going to be things that drive me crazy or things that make me saner. No. Why do you make me disagree with you? It's, what is it? It's makes me crazy or drives me crazy and then makes me saner. Perfect. Let's do that. It's not things, though. It's broad. It's broad. It could be places. It could be people. Events. It could be anything in your Slice mind's of life. eye. Observational humor. Okay. Yeah. So we got to <laughs> no things. It's just no drives things. me crazy. No versus things. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Stop oh. imitating my dad. Oh my gosh! If he's listening, he'll know. <laughs> he won't know. He never knows. <laughs> okay. So why don't you start with drives me crazy? Okay, I'll start with mine. I'm champing at the bit. Go. It's not chomping at the bit. It's champing at the bit. Is it not? No, you're right. I, I am right. Yeah. Okay, good. Go. Would, wouldn't want to be wrong. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we live in an apartment and we hate this apartment. Mm -hmm. And it's a 
garbage place and it's overpriced for what it is and it makes me mad and i'm not going to go on about that because that itself is not the fundamental thing that drives me crazy it is that we are a first floor apartment which we did for sake of not needing to bring a stroller up and down stairs great that was the right move what's bad about it is that the ceiling to our unit does not insulate vibration and the neighbors above us there are sliding doors for the closets all over these apartments. So a normal person takes the door with one hand and you move it and then you're done moving and sliding it and you access your closet. The uh, freaks above us fling their doors and so we hear the rolling on the track just <laughs> loudly like a rolling thunder and then it slams. I, I can't even make the audio of it because I'm worried about making the mic pop or be damaged or something like that. I <laughs> hit my hand into my fist to try and emphasize. Regardless, the door slams into the wall and this is the way that they access their closet and it seems that they've put everything in their apartment into one of their three closets and we are constantly hearing rolling crashes above us. Oh my God, it's a nightmare. It's not during daytime. It's not during nighttime. It's during all the time. All the time. Literally, they also tromp around yes. upstairs and so until three in the morning i hear these psychopaths just <laughs> bounding around their apartments flinging open doors and closets <laughs> no legitimately jacob's not kidding because i'm up with our son a few times a night still and i'll get up with him maybe at four in the morning and i hear them awake above me always and i think to myself if i didn't have to be up at four in the morning i wouldn't be but they are, and it seems that they are of their own volition. All the time, no matter what. Uh, and I hate it, and I hate them, and I hate <laughs> the situation. And <laughs> it drives me crazy. I uh, yeah, Okay. That's what drives me crazy, as you can hear. So the thing that drives me crazy is the story of us going to the DMV last week. Mm. <laughs> so... Things have been a bit crazy, as I mentioned. I should, probably shouldn't use the word crazy in this description because it's just going to get overlapping it too does many tire words. the word out. But things were a little bit uh, hectic. That's Brazzled, a better word. Yeah. Harried. Good. Frustrating. Good. Exhausting. Good. Sorry. I'm I thought this was the, I, the antonym I, one, not synonyms. I'm mimicking our liturgy. <laughs> Sorry, separate point. Jewish liturgy, at least translating into English, has a lot of overlapping adjectives frequently. It gets a little tiring to the eye. <laughs> so we needed to go to the DMV to get new driver's licenses and to get the title for our car transferred to Florida. And, you know, as you might imagine, you would need proof of living in Florida and being a citizen of the United States in order to get these things. But us being overwhelmed and having a hectic week, we brought nothing. <laughs> I brought three pieces of mail. That's it. Yeah. We got to the DMV this with our baby. This was utterly our fault, though. Oh, 100%. The yeah. yeah, that's why it's so funny. Because the DMV was actually fantastic, and they were very, very helpful. But we went to the DMV. We got there with our baby, and we we see the sign right outside the door, and it says, okay, do you have everything you need? And we go, nope. We have nothing that we need. And what that turned into was... Me sitting inside with our baby while Jacob ran home and then ran back and got all of our stuff. And we ended up being at the DMV for probably about three hours altogether. Uh, well, yeah. And it wasn't then, because the line was slow or because it was inefficient. It was our own fault. Well, to be fair, 
we had to schedule this appointment five weeks in advance. That's true. So they don't get credit for not having lines and for not being <laughs> slow when they only accept you for an appointment five weeks in advance. That, to me, is a five-week-long line. And it's the inefficiency that they can't process you sooner than five weeks. So no credit to them for that. No credit to them whatsoever. <laughs> I did have to drive half an hour home and half an hour back. So of that three hours, an hour of that was just me in the car. Yeah, and uh, I had to play with a five-and-a-half-month-old baby in the middle of a DMV for an hour. Well, playing with him is not the problem. It's when you had to change him. That's yeah, no, fun. no, not playing. Playing with him is never the problem, but just being in the middle of a DMV with a baby for an hour where you don't have access to anything you would like or need is a little yeah. bit more difficult. Good times. So tell <laughs> us, tell us a thing that made you saner this week. The thing that made me saner this week was a successful board game night, which sounds like a small thing, but it was the first such board game night down here in Florida. So when we were up in Virginia, just millennial friends, people all around, and they're not Jews, having uh, things to do on the weekend or people living 40 minutes away because the uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, tri-district area, I guess, because mm-hmm. D.C. is not a state and don't let it become one anytime soon. People live too far away. It was too scattershot. So it wasn't reliable. So I would play games on Tabletop Simulator with my boys. But now I can play not with the boys, but with the Jew dads down here <laughs> in our Jewish community, which is fantastic because the in-person element, of course, is irreplaceable. So we had our first successful one of those last night, went over to a friend's house, brought three bottles of rum, brought three board games. We chose among them. I got to teach it to them. And we had a great game. I taught them too well because I got whooped. I came third (laughs) out of three. And the guy who's the most sedate and unassuming and least intense won by a country mile. So good for you, Moshe. And (laughs) bad for me. And now we have to play. I can't even introduce a new game next time. We have to play this again so I can win this time. Uh, Yeah, it was great. We played Isle of Sky, a Scottish-themed tile-laying game. And that was instead of playing Clans of Caledonia, which is a Scottish-themed economic engine-building game. (laughs) And that was uh, instead of playing Pax Pamir, which is where you play a 19th-century Afghan warlord. So we had two similar (laughs) themes and then one very far afield. But it was a great time, and I look forward to much more of it. That's awesome. And I'm really excited because next podcast, we're going to talk about board games specifically. And we can discuss, I'm sure you guys haven't heard those terms before about like an econ game or like an engine building Mm -hmm. game. And we can kind of describe what the different genres of games are. Game mechanics and what's fit for an audience. And then as well, share our favorites because we have upwards of 150 board games at this point. And we really, really enjoy them. And it's not just Risk or Monopoly or Scrabble. It's games that you probably haven't heard of, but are a lot of fun. And we also know that we have different levels of board games as far as difficulty. So we can give you recommendations. Okay, do you have people coming over who are a little more on the party game side? Or do you have people who like to spend time learning how to play games? Maybe takes more time than you might expect to learn the rules, but then playing the game is is a, a little bit more intense as well. Uh, The thing that made me saner this week was we stayed with my family over Shabbat, Sabbath, and on Friday night, we had dinner with my parents and just, I've been working through some changes in my thinking and things that I want to share on my channel with all of you, but are some different thoughts that I've had and talking to my parents, getting their take, talking to Jacob, just being able to really talk about all this stuff and talk it through Uh, That really did make me saner. I think that I've been 
struggling with some some new ideas and I wanted to get some feedback and hear what people were thinking. And my parents are a really good place for me to be able to share that. And with Jacob there as well, who's really the person that I go to about all this stuff. It was just a really wonderful, wonderful opportunity to, to chat about it. Thanks, babe. Yeah. So now let's talk about our highlight of the week. And this is different from Antonym. In case you were like, what? What are we doing? This is different. This is more about what personally have we taken away from this week that was like a high. And mine is that I had three nights in a row of being really participatory in our community. So Sunday, or rather Monday night, was a crafts night with a bunch of women in my community, which was awesome. I got to paint the frame of a calendar. I made it all of the Jewish holidays. I really got into it. I haven't painted in so long, so that was really nice. And then the next night, I had two of my friends over from the community, and we just hung out. Uh, We had margaritas. No, we didn't. What did you make us? You made us daiquiris. I had a beer, but (laughs) the other women had daiquiris. And then the night after that, we hung out with our friends in a social, um, like a a, community event, a community event. It was really great. And it's just, this is everything we wanted. This is why we moved to Florida. And this is what we talked about before we moved about being so important. We're getting to do that, which is so cool. It's not just, oh, we wanted this or we thought this was important, important, but we didn't actually live it out. Now we're living it out and we're seeing the benefits like immediately. It's so cool. So that was my highlight of the week. Yeah, for me, the highlight of the week was yesterday when we were sitting in Baby Boy's nursery. We spent, I'd say, probably 20 minutes, which is a very long amount of time to do this for what I'm about to describe, just watching him move around a probably five by five space within (laughs) his nursery. It was fantastic. He cannot formally crawl, but he can roll and he can swivel on his back bit by bit. (laughs) And so he cares to get from place to place. Mm -hmm. And he was moving within that area, within the nursery. And we just sat there and watched him as he was moving around. Transfixed at how he solved the issue of mobility because he's smart and he's he's physically capable but he's only five and a half months old. And of course I'm going to talk up my son because I'm his father, (laughs) but really it is spectacular how he manages to work with what he's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. We had two dumbbells in the room uh, because sometimes we make use of them while one of us is not doing anything and just watching the other take care of him. So the dumbbells were on the floor and he was seesawing on his back to gradually move his head around to face a different direction and then roll onto his stomach and then like hip hike and kind of move a little bit, an inch bit by bit to get (laughs) over to the dumbbells to put his mouth on them. And it was amazing (laughs) just to see him uh, mountain climb on the ground his way over there. He's an amazing person. Yeah, he's so cool. He's so cool. <laughs> Seeing babies like learn how to take on the world is really just the biggest miracle ever. Mm-hmm. It's it's you're seeing God in action. It's so it's so oh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was fantastic. That was my highlight. Just 20 it. minutes of good content of <laughs> baby boy making his way to the dumbbells. Also, what a stud making his way 
fighting to get to the dumbbells. He's going to be a weightlifter. He's going to surpass me in every way. He's going to be taller. He's going to be smarter. He's going to be handsomer. <laughs> uh, he might already be all three of those things. <laughs> he's charming. He's lovable. And he's sweet. And that's the important thing is I don't want children who are potent and capable of doing all these impressive things. And then what do they spend all of that potential on? What, career, on uh, getting external reward or prestige? I don't care about that. Are you a warm person with a functional family who's given me a lot of grandkids that all love each other and love God? That is literally the only mark of life that I care about for my children. Yeah. So for all of that ability, he better get me amazing grandchildren <laughs> and have a great relationship with them and a great relationship with me. Yeah. It's on me to make that happen, but it's also on him. So that's <laughs> literally my only standard for him. Yeah, well, I agree. It's a good it's a good standard. So let's get into the main portion of today's episode, but don't forget to stay tuned till the very end for our classic thought of the week. So our main portion of today's episode, as we mentioned, is going to be discussing how to get to the end of an argument without hating each other. Does that sound like a good option, like a good way to summarize it? Yes. May I offer something more optimistic? Yes which is how to get to the end of an argument without hating each other and with the ability to draw something positive from it and each other. Yes. So, so not just not a hard landing, not even just a soft landing, but with something in the show for it afterwards besides just the stupid T-shirt. Absolutely. <laughs> so do you want to tar- start or shall I? Sure. So Abby and I, we've been married four years. We've been together five years, in case you're not familiar with the story. And I'm not giving the story right now because we did that in the previous podcast. Uh, it was a large part about how we got together. We, our anniversary of starting to date is literally the in the year, the day after we got married. So yes. we started to date May 28th, 2017. We got married May 27th, 2018. Yeah. So we've been together five years. We've been married four, and it's pretty much exactly those numbers mm-hmm. uh, when we talk about it. So we've had friction. We've had fights because we're two people with, I wouldn't say two people with strong personalities because I have an ornery personality and Abigail's far more agreeable than I am. But Abigail's also not a pushover. So when I'm ornery or disagreeable, she doesn't just will say, oh, well, you know, you're a disagreeable person, so let me allow you to take the field and have your... No, no, she'll push back and not let me just be ordinary. Yeah, and I mean, I do things that also cause friction. I mean, it's not just you. I have my own issues, so... I'm trying to give you the compliment of not comparing to me too much here. It's very sweet, Um, but I think it's always important to know that there's an even... an evenness in the relationship as far as that, so... And so... We've had our friction because we also have quite distinct personalities and quite distinct yes. backgrounds, and we work well together at a deep level and also at the surface level, <laughs> but not always. Mm-hmm. And so there's friction, there's contest, there's egos, and so, yeah, we get into fights. And we don't have a model of a functional couple as being one that doesn't fight. And I don't mean that as in we are bereft of having models in our life of couples who don't fight. What I mean is we don't believe the model of a functional couple is one who doesn't have conflict because you are two separate people. If you are two separate people and not just the same, you are inevitably going to have things that you want or that you feel that are at odds because you're not the same person. The goal isn't to not fight at all because that's unrealistic. The goal is to fight well. Exactly. Fight well is the exact term I was going to use. And so also 
part of the reason why you're going to fight is that if you're imperfect and you both are and you both want things that are not exactly the same or even if you want the same things on the surface you're not going to want them the exact same way in the exact same terms at the exact same time all the time mm -hmm. and if you're not a pushover which you shouldn't be you will care about getting things the way that you want and most of the time you're going to negotiate you're going to compromise you're going to work it out but not all the time so mm -hmm. there will be conflict because some things matter enough that you're willing I was to gonna say, fight things over it matter when you're yes. married things matter the stuff you're talking about is big stuff how you're going to live your life how you're going to raise your kids how you're going to manage, you know, your personalities all day, every day. How you're going to be treated on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. That's, that's a big thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to make a full sidebar of this yet, but when people say that, oh, well, why would you fight over that? It's a little thing. That to me is a, a silly, naive, and idealistic way to frame things. Because when you're in a marriage, something that's as small as someone not saying I don't know, good morning to you in a certain way. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's every day for the rest of your life and it grates on you in a particular fashion and you think it speaks to something more, that is your entire life with you. One person will be filling that role, mm -hmm. doing thing in a, uh, something in a way that doesn't drive with you and in fact has friction and grinds on you. That matters. Yeah. That has stakes. What you do about it, now that's the question, how you go about resolving that conflict. And then on the other person's end, if they want um, to talk to you a certain way and you find it bad, well, there's stakes for you of being controlled in a certain way or told to do something right. that you might think is silly or am I going to let my partner have these expectations or think that that has stakes too because, again, it's the rest of your life with this one person. So. Abby and I, unlike some other podcasts or advice givers or whatever, Abby and I understand you if you're a person who finds these small annoyances to matter and to find yourself ending up in fights about it with your partner, <laughs> even if it seems like it's a small thing to a third party's ears. Uh-uh. We get it. We get where we it comes totally from. We totally get it. Because we deal with that. We deal with those little conflicts and it can get heated. And also, if you treat your partner like they are the person that you're spending your time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like if you view your marriage as a little more casual, which I don't think most people do, but in the sense of, oh, it's fine. I see a million other people all the time. Then maybe you can like brush it off. But we are in it for the long haul and we want it. it it's important to us that we enjoy each other. It's yes. important to us that we enjoy the time we spend together. And so if that's getting interrupted by something that the other person is doing, we're not going to say, ah, whatever, it'll bother me today and I just won't, won't think about it. We think to ourselves, no, it matters to me that we enjoy each other, so we're going to talk it through. <laughs> yeah, and I think the thing about people having a casual approach to a relationship, as you're pointing out, people don't really do that themselves. But third parties who you go to for advice, mm -hmm. you can feel self-conscious in front of because it sounds like a small thing to your friend to talk about it, but experiencing it, it's a much bigger thing. Having a tiny little pebble in your shoe doesn't sound like a big deal until you're walking with that shoe for nine hours right, without exactly, a break. Exactly. I, oh, okay, yeah. Turns out things can be rubbed raw. <laughs> and then if you have to walk with that pebble in your shoe for the rest of your life, you're now going to have a lesion. Right. right? You, you got to learn how to deal with these things, yeah. but actually deal with them and not just poo-poo them. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we were talking about as far as just how we get to the end of our arguments and feel good about it. So I'm going to use an example of an, a, a disagreement we had just a few days ago where we were talking to each other in the kitchen 
And we kind of needed to get out our aggression by just like saying all the things we were frustrated at each other about. And we kept saying to each other, this isn't the point, right? We know this we isn't the point. We kept getting sidetracked <laughs> by bringing in other things. So to give a little context for this entire thing, we have baby boy. And Abby is the one who runs point doing the vast majority of things for baby boy. And it makes sense because I'm working and my job can go over the normal nine to five. It doesn't always, but it can. And Abby is staying home with him and she loves taking yeah, care I of him. Yeah, I love it. Like, that's my job. We're also exclusive. We, Abby is exclusively breastfeeding. Right. Basically, very rarely does she give a bottle because... Well, why? why would you? We, we <laughs> yeah. have the tools available right. on top. Now we're introducing some solids, but that's irrelevant for this story. So Abby's running point and she's doing everything. And that is everything. So yes, we worked it out that it makes sense for Abby to do almost everything. But also she does classically Abby. And also she's concerned about maintaining the house. And then also cooking is a question of who's going to do it. And so all that is stress giving because... These things don't occur frozen in time. No, they have competing demands and overlap for when you have to do them mm -hmm. in the same day with the 24 hours. And so Abby will get frustrated with me if she thinks that I'm not doing enough. Or this is what we thought. We yes. worked this out yes. halfway through this conversation. So, <laughs> so like when it comes to asking me to wake up early for me in the morning to take care of baby boy, which I had started to do, but... When Abby becomes frustrated because she wants to do all these things, genuinely wants to do all these things I do. herself. I do. <laughs> she doesn't have the ability to do them all herself. Because as he talks about on this podcast and her content, she approaches it all with love and as a craft. And so it's not, oh, I have to do this. It's no, I want to do I it I want to well. do it and I don't have enough hours in the day to do all the things I want to do. So how do I get it done? And I am frustrated about yes. this. So it gives her a baseline level of frustration. And so when that baseline level of frustration is there, when I do <laughs> something, which is legitimately annoying or frustrating, but only so far, right? <laughs> only so many units of frustration her frustration will boil over right. to her general frustration at a great level with this limitation will now be applied to the honestly much smaller level of deserving frustration for what I've done. Which is very, yeah. like Jacob is very, very helpful. So I will go into this. I kind of want to explain. But I'm not as helpful as I could be, which is why it's legitimately frustrating. And that's the point is that you have a point in being frustrated with me if I try and avoid getting up early one morning with the boy because I like to sleep. And I also <laughs> can uh, frivolously choose to go to bed too late because I was playing with my boys or right. I wanted to read this thing. Right. And so I went to bed at one. Why would I have to wake up at 730 with the baby? I have too little sleep, babe. Don't you want me to keep my gains? <laughs> and she has the natural response of, I went to bed at 10 and got up with the baby twice in the night and I have to do this now. Why didn't you go to bed earlier? Cause, cause you read, cause you hung out with the boys. You, you could do that earlier or not do that. So there's a legitimate frustration there, but that's not the frustration I received. Right. And I kind of want to explain, I, because I feel like it's helpful to know where the resolution ended up, mm -hmm. which was, for a little while, Jacob didn't like to hear that I was stressed. He just didn't like to to hear the the word stress. It was like frustrating. Mm -hmm. And because I felt like I couldn't say I was stressed out, 
I started to say, well, you're the one who's stressing me out. And it changed the context from things are generally stressful. I have a lot to do. And Jacob being like, Bleh, to, well, if you won't let me say that I'm stressed out, it must be your fault. And I rhetorically couldn't really dispute that because Abby was handling everything. So she had the moral and rhetorical upper hand here because, well, I know how good I have it. I know that Abby's doing a lot. And so I get to have more free time than I very well otherwise could. I know I'm enjoying that. I know I'm like kind of getting away with something. No. Uh, well, because you also cook. Let's. I just want to say Jacob also cooks a dinner for us many, many more nights at this point than I do because I generally still have to take care of the baby. And if I want to go exercise, I have to make time for that. So it's not to say that Jacob doesn't do anything. And I don't want you to play that up because this I don't is, think that's a... This is a funny problem we're going to have as we discuss this topic on this podcast <laughs> is that... We're both defensive because, of each other. Because we're describing how to approach fights and arguments. In order for us to do this effectively, we have to give you, the audience, an understanding of some example cases of the two of us. But if we're going to describe what it was we were fighting about... It necessarily requires us to either admit something self-deprecating, which is the other person perceived this in us, but we don't want to make our partner seem unreasonable. Right. So I don't want to say, like, Abby thought I wasn't doing enough. Wow, how unreasonable what a jerk <laughs> Abby was. Because, well, no, she had a point. So then I have to describe how I was lacking. But then Abby doesn't want me to tell the world how I was lacking in some way and not have it given context <laughs> or any or softened so that the audience doesn't think that, oh, well, was Abigail, she has this terrible husband. <laughs> and then on the flip side, I don't want Abby to be doing the same to herself and have you all think that uh, she is... Uh, in some way, not a good wife or anything like that. So it's a, it's funny. It's a, it's we're a very funny protective limitation of, each other. of the nature of discussing this. But whatever, it's we're here to uh, try and offer something of value in this conversation to the audience. And that requires yeah. that we be real, right. which is I was and still am doing less than I could be doing because Abigail does so much. And it is not a major source of discontent because Abby likes to be doing these things. And so it's not Abby as maid or servant. It's Abby as proud loving mama. mother and proud homemaker <laughs> yes. who enjoys this as craft. And so it would be the same as like a husband fixing something in the house. We live in a rental, so I'm not doing that because <laughs> I'm not going to put equity in this place. But <laughs> when we own a home... I will be doing physical things around the property or me cooking. I, I enjoy cooking. So it's not doing chore. It's act of love where I get to do thing with skill. So right. that's Abigail doing it in the same way. So I recognize how I could be spending more time on these things and lessening Abigail's duties or uh, things that she needs to do. But she doesn't mind doing them. So that's actually not a problem. And I don't need to, as I just explained, I don't need to direct my frustration at Jacob. I don't need but it to you be were, uh, but I was yeah. because I felt like I there was no other way for me to express it. Yes. Which is not good. I mean, both both on my end and on Jacob's end, there were things we needed to work on. The big takeaway for me was that after we got out that aggression of just like changing the subject and explaining all the things that had uh, been so annoying we us. We gotta give them some background though on what that was. So as an example <laughs> Uh, there was a period like a month ago where I pointed out to Abigail, you don't cook for me anymore. And I feel unloved <laughs> yeah. that you don't cook for me ever. He's like, well, 
how would I have the time to do it? <laughs> you point out to me when I would, I'm like, oh, well, maybe you're not using your time efficiently enough, which is, <laughs> that's like an everybody loves Raymond style, like beat drops, terrible thing to say because she's doing so much. But nonetheless, I did feel frustrated and under well, and it's Yeah, it's your love language and I wasn't feeding it, which yeah, literally, literally and figuratively. Yeah, but she did have the rightful retort of, literally how would i do this i can't hold the baby in front of the stove and i can't have him on the floor in the kitchen so how am i watching him and doing that and doing this and then also doing classically there's just not the time for it so i'm like well i want to have it sometimes or whatever (laughs) like maybe you need to think about how to be more efficient so that was a source of conflict at that point but we haven't spoken about it in four weeks just because we were busier or we were eating out of the house at other people's houses. Or I was and cooking then, more. Or And you were cooking a few more meals and then I was cooking a few more meals and right. then it just, it didn't come up right. so much. And so when we were having this conflict of like Abigail mainly is like the instigator this time. Yes. Bring her frustration at me. No, I was. Yeah. That was me. Um, <laughs> When I would push back against it, she brought up the cooking thing as an example of me right. being a jerk and being like, oh, well, you know, you tell me to cook and you do that at me. And that's unreasonable. It's like, so then I was defending the reason why I would be mad at her and for we not went cooking on that more. tangent for and 10 then minutes. And I then had we were to like, realize, what? wait, why are we talking? I haven't brought that up in a month. Now I'm going to defend the point. I want you to cook more often. <laughs> but why am I defending the point that I want you to cook more often? What is happening? Right. And so then we had to, we were puzzled. We were still mad at each other. Right. But even while background angry, we had a calm conversation trying to figure out, wait, why are we, why are we yelling at each like, other? What's the main point of this? And then like, even We're, we're mad, but I don't know what the pitch is for why we <laughs> entered this conflict. Okay, it's not this. Was it this? Right. We're trying to figure out what we're mad at each other about. (laughs) And also, an additional thing I want to mention that I think is, and and we'll get to like what happened after that, but one of the additional things I want to mention that makes our our fights so fine and that I learned from Jacob is that Jacob, in the middle of a disagreement, in the middle of an argument, will do something that totally breaks that because we're, we're in a relationship. So let me give an example. Uh, if we're in the car and we're disagreeing about something, if Jacob sees something outside the window that he thinks is cool and he wants me to see it, he'll just be like, oh, did you see that? That was really cool. I'll be like, yeah, that is cool. I'll say it with in an angry middle- voice, but I will still <laughs> say like, oh, look at that architecture. That's very, int- or look at that tree. Wow. That's an interesting looking tree. <laughs> so anyway, but like, it's <laughs> it's like not. And, and when the first time he did this, I was like, what, what's going on? And then I realized it's because the argument is separate from our love for each other. So while we're dis- disagreeing and whatever else is going on, we're still going to point out the thing we think the other person's going to enjoy. Like, we, yeah. we're still going to say it. And during this disagreement we're talking about right now, I was able to say to Jacob, because my son was in the bath, because our son was in the bath, Jacob said, oh, do you need a, do you need a towel? <laughs> do you need a towel for the baby? Like, we were still in the middle of tasks. We were still dealing with things as a couple even though we were disagreeing. And that's something that has been so effective for me uh, to understand that even when we're really in the heat of things, our relationship is totally fine. It is totally healthy. We are gonna be fine because we can talk about something else. We can like almost take a little tiny mental break and say, okay, I know that this is taking up our, our energy right now, but this needs to be dealt with. And we can do that as a couple. <laughs> yeah, for me, and so this is always the way that I felt about these things. And I don't know that this was earned. 
in terms of I had to work to achieve this. This might just be a perspective that I had yeah. in my gut. Yeah. I, and I find it important to point that out because- Some people have these things naturally. Some some people just happen to enter a relationship with this mentality. We find that it has worked very well, so I advocate it to others, but I personally don't know how I would explain developing it to someone mm-hmm. because I happen to be fortunate enough to have entered with it. So maybe you can mention something about how you came to internalize this as well. Mm-hmm. But for me, my marriage is fine. I'm annoyed as hell with Abby at that moment, and I'm mad, <laughs> I'm spitting mad, and I don't want things to be this way, or I find this thing super annoying, and I lament it terribly, whatever. But that doesn't mean that I'm not lovingly married. It just means that this thing annoys me, right. or I'm mad at this. Okay, but the entire rest of my life is fine. And it's just, there's a natural separation. And so the way that I've described this to Abby, when we were first, I'm calling you Abby a lot. I normally no, call you right. Abigail. I know, yeah. it's interesting. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, way I norm- the way I described this to Abigail early on was just that the argument only goes so far as the argument goes. Mm-hmm. And so if it's something that annoys me, for example, I hate when Abigail chews gum. Mm-hmm. I hate it. I hate it so much. He does. And she hate still it. chews gum. We're not a perfect couple. Uh, <laughs> she still chews gum. I try to spit I, it out when he mentions it, but I don't. You don't. I don't preempt. You don't, no, no, no. I was going to say, I do spit it out, but I don't preemptively not chew gum. Yeah. So there's a, that's either. my own thing. Um, yeah. So you can see it's still a source of like annoyance, right? Whatever, right? I'm annoyed when she chews gum. Okay. Right? Like, and I'll be annoyed and I'll express annoyance. And it goes no further than that. Right. That is it. But it's that mentality for any other source of conflict. We haven't had a fundamental fight. We've had fights actually that Abby thought were fundamental early on where Abby thought it went to the core of the relationship because she thought a fight means that the relationship at its core has a conflict. And for me, it just meant, yeah, we're fighting about that thing. Although I will say, I think that this might be a little bit of a gender thing because I've heard from so many women that the first fight that they had with their spouse, they were like, this is divorce. This mm-hmm. is it. And men are like, no. I don't get what? it. What? Literally, what are you Th- talking that about? That thing annoyed me or we fought about this, but we still have to eat. We still have to sleep <laughs> in the same house together. We still are married. Like I, d- I don't understand why this goes further than that. But right. What is there? So I think it might be like a gendered thing a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, no. I'm going to chalk that up to fairy tales. (laughs) Men don't have a fairy tale happily ever after expectation when it comes to relationship in that way. The domestic bliss means fairy tale depiction in the household. I never had it. I don't know guys who talk in those terms. We don't talk about marriage or uh, anything like that in terms of, oh, it'll be storybook. No, it's just, yeah, you have life. Right. Move forward. Women are more so the ones who have the romantic notion of a perfectly calm happily ever after. That's, I think, accurate. And, and you got to strive for a classically ever also, after instead of a happily ever after. Oh, yeah. Hit you with the pun. <laughs> but also, um, knowing that your husband feels that way, I think, takes a lot of pressure off. Mm-hmm. Once you recognize that your husband is, like, never going to look at your relationship as fundamentally an issue, it's just these are... From these kind of fights. From these kinds of there fights. There are conflicts where a couple can and should view things as irretrievably broken. Yes. But we're obviously not talking about that. because theoretically, that's not so topic. much in marriage. Because once you've gotten married, then you've committed yourselves. Yeah. And th- hopefully you've vetted these big fundamental problems. But Mandatorily. Otherwise, what are you doing, bro? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
But once your husband kind of makes clear, yeah, this is never divorce is never on the table. I think as a wife, you can go, okay, this fight is making me uncomfortable. I'm really stressed out about it. because I don't like it, but it's not fundamentally scary to me. I'm not worried in, in any really deep way. So, so you can treat it for what it is because you'll yes. have an anxiety for what it might be because you know it's not going to be the big, bad, scary dragon of a thing. Instead, you're only dealing with this for as far as it goes and not for where it could possibly go because you know it only goes this far. Right. So when we had that disagreement, uh, going back to the, the in the kitchen. The one we were fighting about the kitchen. Uh, not fighting we were about in the, the kitchen, kitchen. In the kitchen. Uh, and we realized that we needed to figure out why we were angry at each other. And we couldn't figure out exactly what the source of it was. Jacob said, you know, I think we need to take a break from this. We need to stop talking about this right now because we literally don't know what it is. That was the reason why we're mad at each other, but we're still (laughs) mad at each other. We're still amped up. And so there's literally no point to us trying to continue to do this because due to the fact that we both know we're mad, right? It means that anything that we propose as an idea might lead us to attempt to self-justify and say, well, I could be mad at you about this because, and you're just bringing outside things in. And so what I think is a more realistic piece of advice generally is to recognize when you're mad, what mad people do, which is scrounge for reasons to justify being mad and not do some annoying, I'm going to be juxtaposing our approach to things from what I view as the annoying idealist view that some people have with advice, which is, oh, well, once you realize you're mad, you can know you can choose not to be mad anymore because you know what you're doing. No. no. Once you're mad, you can know that you're mad and you can know what mad people do. And so you can just say, yeah, I'm not going to be great at this right now because I'm mad. So why don't I just not attempt to talk to you about these things right now? And then when my madness kind of loses steam because I'm not feeding it by conversing with you and justifying her, (laughs) but it just kind of loses steam because it's hard to be mad on your own when you recognize, I don't know why I'm mad, but I'm still amped up. It fizzles out. And then you can come back and attempt to piece it together later. That's one of the big pieces of advice I think here is that being honest with each other has changed the way that we have discussed things. So when I say honest, I don't mean in that like broad sense. I'm saying when we can say I'm mad, but I don't know why. I think people have a hard time saying that because it feels like you're losing the fight. You want to win. That's mad means you want to win and you view yourself as in contest with the other person. And something that matters to you is threatened. So you've got to be aggro right. to defend it. And and if you admit you don't know why, then, well, that gives you absolutely no leg to stand on. You're not allowed to have that feeling if you don't know why. And now you've lost. Yeah, I'm unreasonable. If I admit I don't know why I'm mad and I don't actually have a justified reason that's the reason why I'm going off of, then you're rhetorically going to lose this exchange, right? Yes. Because a person who admits this doesn't have any moral high ground to stand on so they can't win. So if you do that, you're undercutting yourself, which is why we really don't want to do it. Yeah. But it's also very realistic that that's like where you end up. Yeah. Something is threatened that matters to you that you feel or that you feel is threatened and matters to you. So you want to defend it and you don't know what it is. So you've got to fight to preserve your ability to win this exchange if you can find your way back to the thing you cared about. If you recognize all this, it helps you like realize this is going to be stupid. Yeah. And, and as a, a couple, I think that that's like the biggest, that was the biggest game changer was that we were, you were really the one who started it because I think it's harder for men to do this than women, but it is hard for both 
but when a man can do it, oh my gosh, it changes the it changes the entire dynamic. Was enough with the clickbait. Say it. <laughs> when you were able to say, I I know that you're right, but I don't want to admit it because it would make me feel like I'm losing. And when we said when you said that, this was not this fight. This, this was many years argument, ago. Yeah, three years ago. Yeah. That really allowed us both to go, oh my gosh, I totally understand that feeling. And if I can admit this now and in the future, then the other person doesn't have to hear like a groveling, I'm sorry. They can just hear you say that. And then you're like, okay, I totally understand it. And I appreciate you being honest with me. You literally just told me you understand that you were in the wrong. So that can, fun, that suffices at this point. <laughs> and you telling me that it's hard to say it also tells me that you're being realistic because I've been there. Yeah. And so knowing that you can say that instead of saying I'm sorry, which can be harder. And I'm not saying that we don't say I'm sorry to each other. Because it gives away everything. And that's the thing. So I think this. We do. And I just want to say we do say I'm sorry to each other. But allowing it to be said sometimes in this way, when the argument is very hard, that it's just it's just so much nicer from both person people's perspective, because we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Clemency is a very big deal when you're in a fight with your partner or anyone, but we're going to go with partner here because this is where it can more reliably happen. And you realize at a certain point that you are in the wrong or rather what's more often the case, you have a point about a portion or maybe even all of what you have to say, mm-hmm. but the other person has more of a point about their disagreement on this or about what you're doing wrong on your end towards them. They have more of a point. So morally, deservingly, they should be winning this. If you can admit, I don't want to give up my pitch, my claim here, my side of the argument, but yeah, you're right. And I'm frustrated. I'm mad about that. I still want to fight. And I still have all (laughs) these emotions. And I don't just think you're right in a way where I'm going to let go of things. I'm still going to be mad about this. I still hold on to it. If you're radically honest about the whole kettle of fish of your emotions, it gives the other person the opportunity to be, first of all, gratified that you know that they're right. But then the opportunity to be gracious and merciful and have clemency in terms of not Mm. just taking your admission that they're right and running with it and beating you into the ground, but instead saying, ah, okay, I'm getting a victory on this one, (laughs) but I can only win the peace by granting clemency to my partner to have been wrong. Yeah. And then I can compromise graciously and we'll both come out much better for this. It's like Julius Caesar was famous for granting clemency to his foes. And it was his hallmark. Actually, during the Roman Civil War where he was fighting Pompey, who was like the great general who was pseudo-mentor to Caesar and like his predecessor in a way in terms of like big uh, big man in the Roman Empire, uh, who's the Republic, Roman right. Republic when battles. Uh, he was so mad when the Egyptians killed Pompey and presented uh, Pompey's head yeah. to him because he wanted to grant clemency to Pompey. <laughs> it was his brand. It was his move. <laughs> it's what he really liked to do. He was so mad they didn't have the opportunity for clemency that he murdered all the people responsible. Yeah. But um, didn't give them clemency, huh? Well, you know, turnabout's <laughs> fair play, brochacho. Pretty sure that's what he said in Latin. Uh, but when it comes to a couple in an argument of some kind, 
granting clemency when the other person shows contrition, but a human contrition where they're admitting I'm flawed enough that I'm still kind of mad, it wins the peace. Because if you just run with winning this battle of like, oh, they admit I'm right, and you show no graciousness, first of all, you've spurned them wanting to do that in the future. You've shown yourself to have really bad character, so undermines the whole give and take of things, and you're no longer acting as partners. And a big thing that Abigail and I believe is that when you're in a fight, the sooner the two of you can kind of exhaust or expend and work through your emotions to get to the point where you're like a little bit tired out and you can realize, wait, we're working on this for whatever is best for the marriage or the couple, Mm -hmm. rather than me winning as an individual, that's what matters. And so you don't win an argument when you win an argument as a couple if it comes at the expense of like the marital dynamic. Yes. And so and one of the things even I just wanna... when you're right, you're not necessarily right if you have to extract too big a price in blood, so to speak, yes. from the other person. Well, and I think that that's the other thing is super rarely do we think that a fight is ever 100% one person's fault. Mm-hmm. We can't I don't think either one of us is really comfortable with resolving a fight if one person is entirely in the wrong and one person is entirely in the right, even if, if that's it's that's the way it would end. If we would end on that note of someone just accepting full blame for everything, it makes the one who's winning on these terms a little uncomfortable. Really suspicious. Yeah. Like we realize I nothing in this world comes for free. <laughs> There's no way that they are just one hunno in the wrong. I don't trust these terms and I don't want my partner to debase and harm themselves right, right. because I know I'm not that great. Right. So even if it's just 95% one person's fault and 5% the other's fault, it's always it it's matters. almost always going to be that as opposed to just oh my gosh, one person totally messed up. It almost yeah. never is that cause. And if it is, I will say for us when that is the case, the other person before we even get into a fight comes to the, you contrite like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this happened or whatever. Yeah. It's it's not, if that's ever the, the case, that's not a fight. That's a an, an immediate apology. Yeah. The closest thing we have to that is when I'm in the wrong, I have a lot of things that really annoy me. And I can say out loud, and I do understand that these are just utterly personal and they have no normative weight behind them. So what I mean by this is there's a pet peeve of, well, I don't like it when that woman laughs that way, right? Mm -hmm. There's no normative weight behind it. There's no rule of polite society that says a person shouldn't laugh in that particular way. I'm not talking about like a hee-haw, jackass, braying kind of thing. I mean, just this person has a particular laugh and you can't stand it. There's nothing about normal manners that says that woman should have learned at some point not to do that. It's just a pet peeve. So if you really get that mad about a pet peeve and you think you're in the right, oh, this person should have learned not to do that, you're being just 100% unreasonable. As not to say you don't experience annoyance, you're just unreasonable to try and throw it at other people. I'm like that. (laughs) I just, whatever quirk of how I turned out, there are a lot of things that really get on my nerves. And you heard me talk about a little bit before with the gum. And so I am a nice husband. I'm a good man. (laughs) All these nice things about me. But I am tough to be around sometimes because I got a lot of these pet peeves and Abigail's on the receiving end of just a lot of expressions of my annoyance about these things not because she's any form of a uniquely triggering character for these pet peeves just because she's a person who's alive in my vicinity and I don't want to have to hear these things that annoy me throughout my life 
And Abby wants to be able to be a human being who's alive and not constantly told to stop doing very normal things. And that is the great push and pull. And you can tell from the way I'm describing this, when it comes to me being very annoyed with this stuff, I am 100% in the wrong. I just don't care sometimes because this stuff really annoys me. So that is actually probably the most frequent source of like petty, stupid little conflicts between the two of us. I think that the way that that balances out is that every person has their pet peeves, right? So my responsibility, and we've talked about this, my responsibility as my, as your wife, we've talked about feeling underappreciated, just it can, it can sometimes creep in. And one of the ways that feeling Jacob can feel underappreciated is when I completely ignore those pet peeves and just say like, ah, whatever, whatever, I don't care. And with some of them, I do feel that way. Some of them that are just, you know, life things. Some of the, some of the small things I'm like, you know, you kind of just have to deal with it. But some of the things like chewing gum, that is a very clear choice I'm making that, that bothers you. And I don't need to chew gum. And I think that that is on me that if that bothers you, and I think that bothers a lot of people, by the way, I don't think that's unique to you that there's no right for a person not to chew gum. And Unlike the way for there's a right for people not to belch loudly right. after they eat. Like we we get that polite society. You should not be belching loudly, loud and proud with it, right? Like yeah. just that's vile. Yeah, it's and gross. enough people. But chewing gum, unless you're like open mouth with it, if you're just chewing gum and it's the the unavoidable noise of it that annoys someone, which is the case for me. Uh, someone like me doesn't have the right to demand others you not don't, do that. But I also don't have the need to chew it. So like, I think that there are certain parts of that that do even out where I can say, you know what? I don't need to do this thing. And if I'm going to do it, I don't need to do it around you, which is what I've tried to do. Although sometimes you'll walk in halfway through well, the day. I when work I've from been home chewing. for the moment. <laughs> uh, so that puts more pressure on the situation of when am I not there? <laughs> <laughs> right. But there, like I, like I just want to gum to the say baby. that I think that there just is. Just quickly spit it out, know. hand it off to the baby. Oh, the baby was chewing gum. Go ahead. <laughs> and so I think that there are, even with that, I think that there are balances where there's, it is on me somewhat to work on the things that bother you that I think also, I think this is the, the where the balance comes in, that I think are also not classic behaviors. And so if I have certain behaviors that I grew up with that I'm used to doing that are just habitual, that are not classic and that bother you, it's on me to also work on improving that. And it happens to be a pet peeve of yours. So Mm -hmm. that's also good because I'm doing something that will make you feel more appreciated by stopping. I do feel appreciated when you do avoid the pet peeves. Uh, but I, I but also am self-conscious about, about them. But we've talked the about yeah. how it's also hard. And this is, I don't know if Jordan Peterson said it or what, but hmm. it's hard to recognize when someone stops doing something. Yes, that's very true. But it's harder, but, and it's more obvious when they continue to do it. So when I've stopped doing something, I have to kind of point out to you so you notice. Yeah. I've stopped doing this thing so you feel more appreciated because you're not going to notice I'm not doing it since it's not It's very you. true. Unless it's an alarm bell ringing in your ear, it's hard to notice. It's like, when did you notice that the fly stopped buzzing? <laughs> like, I remember being aware moment to moment that it's there, but then because it's it's not a good thing in my life for it not to be buzzing, it's the absence of a bad thing. If I'm focused on anything else, I might not have been paying attention. And then I just, I'm not distracted again from the things I care about because of the buzzing. So too is it with gum. <laughs> as with gum as with other things. 
But to finish off kind of what happened at the end of this argument that we were having in the kitchen, I have to like, I don't know why in my head that's the definition of this argument. It was in the kitchen. Um, Because we were so vague when we were having the argument about what the argument was about. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to steal this from you. I'm taking the speaking stick. I'm taking the speaking stick. I'm saying it. I just want to bring this back to the core thing. that This was an argument that was not even actually about anything. Yeah. Because it was about, or it was inspired by your frustration at the limitations on your ability to get done the things that you want to do and being pulled in so many directions. Yeah. And so it was a slow boil of anger and like the heat being raised from that stuff. And um, I'm going to use a stupid metaphor here, like steam pressure building in a system. Yeah. It found whatever was the weakest link kind of shunt through and then erupt out of. Right. Even though that wasn't really what was generating the steam in the first place. It just built pressure and the pressure escaped at the point of uh, least resistance, which was uh, you had an opportunity to express frustration with me. So you expressed all of this frustration at me. Yeah. But- to your credit, or maybe not to your credit, but not to be not entirely against you, you were really frustrated and felt that you could not articulate any of it to me because of things like our prior uh, arguments about, why are you cooking for me more? And you replying, because there's only so much time in the day and I'm taking care of our son <laughs> and cleaning the house and doing the laundry and then doing Classically Abby. When would I do it? Also, Jacob, you like very complicated food. <laughs> you want everything to be prepared gourmet because you grew up going out to eat at restaurants constantly. And you think that home cooking is like that constantly. So how would I have the time to do the food that you want? Right. Very specifically. So all that frustration was real. And then when my reply was generally, are you sure you're using your time as effectively as possible? And then I would use that exactly when you'd say that you're stressed about things. Oh, you're stressed. You can't get everything done. Are you sure (laughs) you're using your time as effectively as possible? I would get kind of annoyed with you that maybe you're not doing everything as well as possible. So that's how you were led to thinking that you couldn't express stress to me because I would just be kind of a jerk and say, well, you know, maybe if you were doing things better you'd have more time or you'd and to be, be fair stressed. there are times that i don't use my fine time that effectively so that's fair sometimes but my, my point in bringing that up is just that this disagreement between the two of us as much as it was just abby venting steam at me because she had the opportunity to the reason why that steam built up was also traceable back to me <laughs> after a fashion well and i think but the point of it that i wanted to bring things back to was there was kind of like a classically ever after ending to this discussion which was really really satisfying which was after we but jacob said you know i think we need to take a break from this discussion because we're just mad at each other and we don't know why we sat down I, he was sitting in one chair in the nursery i was sitting in the other i was nursing our son and from that point, we were able to go, yeah, that was a weird situation that we were just kind of frustrated at each other and we didn't know why. And now I can explain having calmed down and recognizing that we're both in this place mentally, where I'm coming from and why I was feeling this way. And you could explain where you were coming from and why you felt that way. And it really took just saying, well, we're frustrated, but we don't know why to for us to go, okay, stop trying to trace it. And allowing us to figure out really what was the crux of the matter just by calming down. 
And that's where we're going to call it for this conversation about disagreeing and uh, arguments, because I think this is a, a very long discussion we could have about it. We could do it in multiple podcasts. Well, this was an introduction to several of the themes that yeah. you and I hit upon when we think about this stuff, which is that, I mean, the main thing is the clemency and the ability to recognize that it can. you want to win arguments and that people say, simply don't try to win the arguments are being unrealistic. You have something you care about. The little details can matter over the course of a long relationship. And so you're going to want to fight over these things. The whole point is to give yourself an off ramp through being able to admit when you realize uh, maybe you have more of a point than I do. And then for the other person to grant the clemency for you to be able to realize when you don't even recognize what you're fighting about anymore. And so you need to break from that discussion and come back mm -hmm. to it. Several of these tips and mentalities. Oh, also uh, the big thing of, and maybe guys have more of an easy time with this as you're pointing out, recognizing the argument only goes so far. Right, that so not every argument it, ends with divorce. <laughs> not every argument ends the relationship. Uh, that arguments only go as far as they go. That if you're annoyed with each other, that's all you are. And not being annoyed matters as a thing to have in your life. But that's also all it is. That's yeah. the scale of it. Not more. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you for summing it up because I was going to do that and then I forgot that I wanted to. So thank you for <laughs> summing up the points. Um, but now let's move on to our classic thought of the week. And this week, what I want to talk about is how important it is to encourage your partner to have friends of the same gender that they can spend time with. So Jacob has been spending time with his bro with his bros, with his friends. I, this week, have been the spending time- The two dads and my boys. Exactly. The very two distinct groups who I'm trying to introduce to each other <laughs> uh, through online games, but they're, they're distinct. We have our suburban Jew dads, and we have my boys. Right, exactly. And Jacob has encouraged me, and I've been doing uh, time with the women in my community, the friends that I have here, as well as time with my mom and with my sister, and encouraging each other to spend time with people who- they can enjoy, you know, same gender activities with, if that makes sense. So Jacob plays video games. I like video games, but I don't love them. And he plays them with his friends. And I think that's great. And I like to say, take that time. That's time for you to enjoy. And I can spend time just shooting the breeze Please. with girlfriends and with my mom and talking just about life stuff that maybe he wouldn't be as interested in. So I think that's a really important way to develop your relationship is have friendships outside of each other with people of the same gender of, you know, you want to keep men with men and women with women in our opinion, but that's uh, my well, yeah, It's also, so it's a pressure release valve because yeah. too much of the modern romance talk makes it so that your partner has to be every role to you mm -hmm. and it mistakes like a, a marital partnership for being best friends. Mm -hmm. And a marital partnership goes beyond being friends, but also it shouldn't have the pressure of doing everything for you that any of like your assorted friends would do, right? right? So the things that I like to do for entertainment, a portion of them are not as interesting to Abigail. And we have a relationship where we push each other to be engaged yes, with things each do. other like. So it's not as if there's a sphere of the things that I enjoy that Abby just has no relation to. But the amount of time that I want to spend playing board games and the variety of them and the complexity or for video games as well, 
or for certain other things like the amount that I would like to watch UFC fights or things like that. Abby will do all those activities with me. She will enjoy all of them and she does, but just not at the degree <laughs> and scale and frequency that I do. And, and like, so, I want to watch, you know, a girly movie. I don't need Jacob to watch You've Got Mail with me. I don't need did. him. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> More than once. And I watch it every year. And I don't need you to come with me to DSW to pick up a new pair of sandals. Oh, I certainly don't need to do that. And I don't need to talk to you about the latest gossip or whatever. Not that we should gossip at all, but just any sort of life women want to talk about more life, life details, details and name than men do. unending oh, life details sure so i think it's really wonderful that for couples to encourage each other to do that and one of the things that i think was a big mistake that someone said to me going off of what you were saying before about your your spouse being everything for you someone said this to me before you got married before well, we got married yeah. and they said if you were on a desert island with your spouse like, is this the person you would want to be on a desert island with? And they will be basically they'll be everything for you. And I hated that question because obviously you're going to if you're going to choose anyone to be on a desert island with, it's going to be your spouse. But that doesn't that that's not real. When you're in the real world, you're you're not in a desert island. Your spouse is the person you go to for everything. And also there are other people who might be better at some things. And that's yeah, okay. and it's. It's a it's part of what I think is the romanticist notion of happily ever after, which we we're criticizing earlier. But just this idea that a relationship must love must be the absolute most fulfilling thing on earth, such that it is the only thing you could want or need. And if it isn't everything in your world, if it isn't the most virtue signalingly perfect, most satisfying and nourishing thing possible on every level of entertainment or detail or whatever, then it's not real love. And that's ridiculous. This is something that is a meme. It's appealing in yeah. the snapshot that you'd get from a movie or a storytell or anything like that. But in reality, people are people. And Abigail and I love each other. We don't love doing every single thing with each other in the exact same terms that we both want to do it because what, what who who matches up? that perfect with it's just a no, ridiculous just notion happen. and so yes have friends and spend time with them and have more things that you're doing and, and encourage both it be for happier. your spouse yes yes and don't get jealous of the time they're spending with people who are again of the same gender yeah very clearly but yeah. yes no it's it's just there's this romanticist um abby and i talk about a concept of the dialectic which we will describe in greater detail later on but as i'm using it here the phrase dialectic is you know how when people rhetorically trap you with some vague principle we all agree with that you're not really allowed to disagree with out loud? So, for example, they say, well, you love your spouse and love means doing everything for them and being devoted to them and being everything to you. And you say, yeah, sure. I mean, how how could I disagree with that? And they're like, yeah, so then that would mean that you shouldn't need to spend time with other people. Because if you do want to or need to spend time with other people, then really, is your love that perfect? Mm -hmm. Because you could have, it's like, I feel like conversationally, I'm not allowed to disagree with that. But in the real world, like, I don't think that's true. But if I say it out loud, then I feel like I'm admitting something bad. Right, like, right. You get dialectically trapped based yeah. upon a stupid principle that's very shallow, taken way too far. Mm -hmm. uh, this, 
as a separate note, and we will talk about this on a later podcast, is the way that the left wing operates when it comes to virtue signaling and trapping you about like diversity, equity, inclusion stuff Mm -hmm. uh, with like, oh, you don't really care about racism if you won't post a black square in support of the communist BLM movement doing billions of dollars of destruction and riots. If you don't support that, then you're a racist. Like, well, I... I can't not support the notion of diversity. I can't not support the notion of not um, backing police violence. I, I, what do I do? And you end up trapped. So we'll talk about that in a later podcast, but it gets used in the world of romance as well, very stupidly and harmfully. Yeah, exactly. So that is it for today's episode of Classically Ever After. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Make sure to leave your thoughts in the comments kindly and respectfully, and we will see you guys in our next episode. Bye. Bye.